Church. Good evening. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Wesley. I have the privilege of leading this service with a bunch of awesome people. Um, I'm one of the, part of the eldership team here at Willows, and it's a joy that we can do what we get to do. Um, does it make us perfect? No. Um, if you're visiting here for your first year, yeah, welcome to an imperfect church. All right. We're not perfect, but boy, it's good to be together. And that's what I'll keep fighting for, is the unity and just who we are as a church. And um, we are really privileged that we can get to do this so often when shared with our friends, shared with our city, and trusting God that He will use us so that we can share moments like this into nations and nations and nations. Amen? Right. We're still in our Miracles series, and tonight... I'm really got an expectancy for the word tonight, really trusting that the Holy Spirit will use, will, will use what he needs to use, that it really penetrates into our hearts. But before I just jump into that, I want to tell you a story. So I don't know, maybe it's just coming from um, the Limpopo province. Any Limpopians over here tonight? There we go. Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. Yes. Everything is beautiful, that side of the Bumalani toll gate. Anyway, so I don't know if it was just maybe growing up in, a, you know, in the Platteland, um, but at high school, there was, um, I hope it was the same for you, otherwise I had a very unique schooling experience. But at high school, girls went through this phase where they used to draw on people. Did any of you do that? Come on, be honest, it's church, girls. Where you would randomly take a pen and start drawing on people. Okay. I hated that. I really, I just don't know why. It's not that I'm overly, obsessively neat, but I just didn't like to be drawn on. I never, if I got a pen mark, I'd quickly do that. All right. So, because it made me so uncomfortable, I don't know why. That's, I guess, that's probably, well, I don't have the pain threshold to sit through that too either. But I guess I'd probably do this with a tattoo as well if I ever had to get one. But I'm just like, never really understood that. And, you know, and I was like, no, don't do that. You know, I was like very, I want to say rude is not the right word. But um, I was like, no, leave me alone. Only later on in my life I found out that if a girl draws on you, she actually likes you, right? <laughs> that explains why I was single for a very long time in my life. Just didn't, I was like, just stop irritating me. You take your pains that side. Some of you have just had the same aha moment I had a few years ago. It's like, what, she liked me? Anyway, so super uncomfortable for me to have that happen. Like, I don't know, just didn't, ugh, just didn't like it. Anyway, um, but then it's quite funny. Those things that made me uncomfortable then, married, have a child, and the massive blessing it is to be a father, there are moments of severe uncomfortability. What I mean by that is, so... Six weeks into my new uh, job title as father, um, Anshin and her mother go to Menlin for, I, don't know, I just 
go, you deserve, go and have some time off, go and shop or do something. And um, so I'm like, daddy daycare, at home, me and my girl, we got this, because she's a really super easy little baby. And that day, all chaos breaks out in Castle Gardens number seven. Every hole in that human being, fluids everywhere, <laughs> at the same time. Now, I was, I thought, okay, nappy, I can do a nappy, baby, Aaliyah's on the bed, I start changing the nappy, and then, like I said, everywhere. So I'm like, I'm running to the bathroom, or to the bath, trying to, because, yeah, like, she can't do it on the bed, so then I realize, oh, but if I leave that stuff too long on the bed, it's going to stain, so I run to the kitchen, get the vanish, I'm running to the vanish, I'm like, oh, shucks, I left my little girl in the bath, so I'm running back to the bar. <laughs> Chaos. That has never happened before, never happened again, where everything happened at the same time. Super uncomfortable experience for me. Then I realized I don't like being uncomfortable, right? Who of you enjoys or really thrives being uncomfortable? Not much, right? We don't like being uncomfortable. And kind of just to, to prove my point, I just want to, I'm just going to show you something. All right, Mike, quickly come with me. Mike, please walk with me. Mike, just go and sit there on the, on the chair over there. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. Talia, quickly come with me. Talia, will you and Tatiana please just swap chairs for me? That would be great. Thank you. Thank you. If you break eye contact, I will find you. Um, <laughs> hmm. All right. Let's try and take Marnes. Quickly walk with me. Thanks. Oh, Marnes, let's put you right at the back. Let's come sit over here. Why don't you just sit over here on this chair? This would be great. Thanks. Yeah, right over there. And then I, I, I never get to the middle people, so I'm just going to take my opportunity. So would you please come with me? Thank you so much. And Nico, why don't you go and sit there a bit? Yeah, I've got to figure out just... Go, why don't you guys just swap chairs for me? Awesome, thanks. All right, that's great. Anyone else? This is your chance. Valentine's just passed. Okay, so how comfortable are you right now? Be honest. Who's loving, who's thriving in their new church seat? <laughs> Michael, you're all alone. There's no one beside you. You see, even sometimes we can find little comfort and safety in the same seat that I sit at church every week, right? But it's not fun being uncomfortable. I'm very tempted to continue doing this, but I'm going to get back to what I want to do. I think one more, one more. Francois, will you come with me, please? Thank you. Francois. <laughs> He's just been on stage. This is actually a safe bet. Will you stand on that little green sticker? Thank you. Okay. <laughs> you are doing a fantastic job. All right, but be honest. How comfortable are you right now? Wiz, I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> We don't like being uncomfortable. We don't like it, right? So tonight, I'm gonna, we're going to look at John chapter 9. All right. Hang in there. We're going to go into John chapter 9. And what I believe this chapter shows us is how Jesus makes every other person in this chapter, or in this part of the story, uncomfortable. See, we kind of grow up, we believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He is. 
He's there to comfort us, to bring us peace, and to come close to the brokenhearted. But when I look at John 9, I see a Jesus who makes everyone around him uncomfortable. See, and that's a problem. If we don't believe that Jesus can do that, then we've got a problem because we don't really believe in the Jesus of the Bible. All right. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. All right? You doing well? Okay, thanks. You guys can return to your normal seats. Well done, guys. So some of you like lost a kilogram of just sweating in this new city. Like, I'm so comfortable. Where's my people? Anyway, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you who you are. Thank you that we get to know you and walk in friendship with you. Thank you that we get to learn from you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, may you use your words to cut through marrow and bone tonight. As we desire more of you, we desire to see you in our lives. We desire change, lasting change that will happen. I do this all to worship you and you alone, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, while I was preparing for today, I'm going to break away... Going to break some of my own preaching rules um, because I was just overwhelmed by this whole chapter. And I very rarely don't take a whole chapter and preach from it, um, so I'm breaking away even from my norm. But I'm going to tell you the story of John chapter nine, and then we're going to zoom into certain parts. All right? Is that, is that good? So what's happening in John chapter nine? Jesus and his disciples had just been at this festival, um, so I guess they're in good spirits. Um, normally, in biblical times where there was festivals, there was a lot of food, so their bellies are full. They're quite happy. And um, Jesus notices someone. Jesus notices a man that was blind from birth. And the disciples uh, notice him as well. And their first instinct was they asked Jesus, Jesus, what did this man do wrong that he's living like this? Jesus, what did his parents do? Um, what sin have they committed that he was born blind? So Jesus answers them and says, no, no sin was committed. No one did anything um, but here is an opportunity for my father to receive glory. So Jesus then goes further and he has a small little teaching. And then he does something quite unique. What he does is he spits on the ground. Now this is the Middle East. It's not Pretoria in the middle of La Nina where there's grass everywhere. All right. So he spits in the dust. He makes a paste of the spit in the dust. And he goes to this blind man. And he covers his eyes in it. Now, I don't know, was his eyes open? Were his eyes closed? I don't know. I hope just before he did this. But how would he have known Jesus is coming close anyway? So I'm like, this is interesting. So Jesus rubs the mud on his eyes, sends him to a specific pool, and says to him, go and wash and come back seeing. So the man does this. He goes, he walks past now. You can just imagine a blind man, his eyes covered in mud, walking to wash himself in this pool. It happens, a miracle happens, his eyesight is restored, and the people that know him are like, whoa, is this, is this the blind guy? And he says, yes, it is me. And they ask him what happened, and he said, no, this man Jesus um, put mud on my face, and now I can see. And he goes further, and the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of the day, um, they didn't like this because this event or this miracle happened on the Sabbath. Now, where's that's a big Old Testament word. What's the Sabbath? Sabbath 
was reserved for a day where no one works, nothing happens. It was a day of rest. So these religious leaders are kind of ticked off one that Jesus is doing miracles because they've been trying to kind of, you know, quiet him. Um, but now he's did it on the Sabbath. How dare he? It's a day of rest. No one may work. And, and so they kind of question him and they say, listen, okay, tell me, who's this man? What did he do? And he says, well, he's a prophet and he kind of just spat on the ground, took the dust, and now I can see. So they're like, all right, now this sounds far-fetched. So they go to this man's parents. You always get into trouble with parents somewhere in your life, right? So they go to his parents, and they ask, all right, now, they ask him, what's happening? Who is this guy? Was he really blind? La, la, la. And they say, they take the high road. They're like saying, no, no, no. He's of age. He's got a driver's license. We want nothing to do with him. They kind of sell him out to these religious leaders. They don't say, leave my boy alone. It's amazing what's happened. Yes, for 35 years he was blind, and now he sees nothing like that. They were like just, no, you talk to him. We've got nothing to do with this. The reason being is because if they kind of go, went along with this and got excited by this, that they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, what's a synagogue, Wes? That is a, a traditional place of worship for Jews. Um, so... This man eventually gets kicked out of the synagogue. So in a question of, I mean, just imagine that, like roller coaster. I can see the people don't believe me. My parents sell me out and I'm kicked out of church. So Jesus meets up with this man again and Jesus says to him, do you believe in the son of God? And this man says to him, who is he? And just tell me who he is. And Jesus says, "Is I, you have seen him. And ultimately, he says, I believe, and he starts worshiping Jesus. So, incredible piece of story from Jesus and his disciples walking from a festival to Jesus having this radical encounter with this man that not only can see now, but who can spiritually see as well. All right, so this is where the story is. And while I was preparing, this was, it was a confronting and a heavy prep because of the fact that there's just so much going on got so many questions and normally when I read scripture I write down questions as much as I can why this why this and and there's three questions that that we're going to jump into together that I really believe that we need to answer from the scripture and the three questions we are going to look at is number one what do you see around you what do you see around you question number one question number two what may Jesus do in your life Number three, who will Jesus be to you? All right, quite easy. Three questions. We're going to attempt to answer them tonight. So question number one, what do you see around you? We're going back to the start of the story. Verse one to three says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answers, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but the works of God may be displayed in him. So what I find interesting here is three different role players. We find the blind man, we find the disciples, we find Jesus. Three people in the same circumstance, but they all see something different. See, the blind man sees nothing. He sees darkness. He sees nothing. All that he's known in his life is nothing. The blind man sees darkness. The disciples, instead of seeing someone in need, what do they do? The disciples see a sinner. They've been so programmed in their mind that they 
What did this guy do wrong? And Jesus sees an opportunity. Three role players, same situation. What do you see when you look at your life currently? What do you see? See, maybe you, you're a bit like the blind man tonight. When you look into your life, when you look into your circumstances, all you, you actually see nothing. It's dark. There's no hope. There's no future. And you've almost made peace with that. It's been like this for so long. I haven't had a relationship with my mom for 10 years. It's been like that since I can remember. Well, I've been struggling with this, and I'm almost like, it's almost as if the darkness that's around you has become your place of comfort. It's like, let me just, at least it's familiar. There's no hope. There's no future. There's no way out. And let me just start off by just saying that although that is what you see, Jesus sees something different. No matter how hopeless or how dark our lives get, Jesus doesn't see that. He sees an opportunity. He sees an opportunity. He sees something different, even different than some people in your life would. And this gives me incredible peace and incredible hope. Because I know when Jesus looks at my life, no matter how sorry I feel for myself, no matter what I face, no matter what we go through, Jesus sees something different. Maybe when you look at your life, you're kind of a bit like the disciples. Um, you just see fault with everything. You just see the bad and the fault, and, and you're on this mission to answer or to get the reason for it. Who, who knows about the Y train? Has ever been on the Y train? Why me, God? Why my school? Why does Silver Lakes not get load shedding? Right? Any other passengers on the Y train the last few weeks? It's we, we've, we've made almost this compulsion of getting to the reason of bad circumstances. So the disciples see a blind man and they want to know, why is he blind? What happened here? Why? See, they're looking for a reason for it. And maybe you currently, in, in, you're facing things and there's been bad situation upon bad situation. And you're like, why? Why did this happen? Why didn't, it, why didn't it work out? Why didn't she say yes when I asked her for the Valentine's date? It was kind of just, I just took a chance, Wes. Why? Well, the problem is, maybe you're like the disciples and you're so critical. You're so judgmental because, you see, that, 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 that viewpoint on things, on your own life and around you, um, why is this not working? There must be something wrong. That person's wrong. They've got it out for me. Do you know what it does? It makes you extremely judgmental and critical. And when you are extremely judgmental and critical, do you know how difficult it is to have grace on yourself and the people around you? It's like... Someone's going through something, but because you are so critical, you can't extend grace to them. Therefore, it's awkward, so you just kind of leave them because you're scared if you approach them, you'll just push them down further. And maybe towards yourself. Maybe you're struggling to have grace on yourself because all you're looking at is the faults, whether it's been your fault or your parents' fault. Now, the disciples weren't necessarily wrong asking this question because they've been taught and it's been... Well documented in, in, well, in today's Old Testament that certain sins of previous generations do cause certain things in our lives. 
But Jesus changes that. So Jesus almost says, no, no one sinned. What I like what Jesus is doing here, he's almost like, two things that I believe is important that you and I should understand. And I think the younger we are, the, quick, the quicker we can get it while we are younger, it will really help us going forward. Number one is that bad things happen in life. They do. It's not necessarily always someone's fault. Bad things happen in life because planet Earth is not the final destination. Even though we do our best to pretend it is. We build an empire, we build a name, we sacrifice, we sell our souls, we get so busy, we make this earthly experience the ultimate experience and the final one, and we do our best, but can I tell you that it's not? That there is a life after this. It's either going to be with God or without God. So why? Because it's not supposed to be perfect. This world is filled with cruelty and evil and death and sickness and pain. But Jesus comes and says there will be a time where there will not be death. There will not be crying. There will not be sickness. There will not be pain. Why? Because this is not the final resting ground. Maybe you and I should consider then why are we putting so much care and so much hope into where we are currently. See, Jesus almost, he almost just moves on from this question. See, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's so that my, the glory of my Father can be revealed. So what, 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 is, what, what does that mean? See, what Jesus does, instead of focusing on the reason behind the suffering of this man, he focuses on the purpose of the suffering of this man. You and I can get so caught behind the reason of things that we never look and ask God to show us the purpose of things. Why is this happening to me? God, what are you doing? Two different questions. John Piper puts it like this. He says, the explanation of the blindness lies not in the past causes, but the future purposes. So Jesus almost just says, would it really matter if you knew why? But can I tell you what I'm going to do with this? Maybe you have to start asking yourself what is happening, not just why it's happening. Now, I get this, guys. When it's emotional, it's tough. It's tough because that Y-trained man, there's a lot of people that welcome you with open arms. And I get it. When our hearts are hurt and disappointed, it's so difficult to break through that barrier and say, Lord, I know it's safe. And the fact that the disciples asked it showed me that it's safe to ask it. He didn't say, no, man, what are you asking? He actually did answer their question. So although I can ask God, what's the reason? Why is this happening? He wants. And friends, we should ask and get to a place where we say, Jesus, reveal your purpose. What can come from this? So my question is, what do you see around you today? Now you might be wondering, okay, wait, hold on, Wes, are you telling me God made that man on purpose blind so that he can be blind for 35 years so that he could have this glory moment? The answer to that question is, I don't know. I don't know if... I know he was blind. I know he was born blind. But I can't tell you that God did it on purpose. But what I can tell you, 
what I can and what I do know, what this does reveal, that whatever you and I go through, no matter how dark the situation is, no matter the pressure you feel, no matter how lonely and hopeless you are, that there is purpose for it because Jesus loves you and God is with you and he's the author of your life and not yourself. That I can tell you. What do you see around you? Do you see nothing? Do you see darkness? Do you see fault? Do you see bad? Do you see sin? Or do you see an opportunity? And maybe that opportunity, you're facing currently something right now because Jesus wants you to say, the reason for this is me. I want you to see me. I want you to come closer. There's something about who I am that you don't know yet. Question number two. What may Jesus do in your life? So verse six, this is, guys, this, is, this gets, are you ready? Are we getting intimate? Come. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Everyone say saliva. No, but say it like you, like saliva. <laughs> what a funny word. Anyway, saliva is spuch. Yeah, there we go. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means saint. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Incredible, right? No, weird. Spitting on someone's face is strange. Be honest. Or are you guys just spitters? You guys just. Surely not. Guys, it almost sounds a bit ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, what? what? Jesus, like... Now, I kind of see this. Like, can you imagine this? So, obviously, the blind man wasn't seeing what's happening, but the sound of spit is <laughs> unmistakable. So, I can just imagine him standing there, not being able to see anything, and the next moment he hears is... <laughs> panic. Uncomfortable. Hey, Mike, Right uncomfortable can you imagine the disciples they're like did Jesus did you just, did you just like they've already been through some interesting moments and they're like Jesus like you can't do you no, you can't and now he's spitting on the floor and making mud cookies and so Jesus spits on the floor makes mud and rubs it on his face. Friends, it's important that you and I understand is when Jesus makes a mess, when Jesus does stuff like this, a mess can lead to a miracle. Now, I'm not saying the messes that you and I make. I'm not excusing your sin and the mistakes we make. No, that's, that's on us. We can't blame that, Jesus, you forced me to do it. No, this isn't, no, there's a place where we come, and if we've messed up, we come in repentance before Jesus, and say, Jesus, forgive me. But when he takes control and does things that don't necessarily match up with your understanding, he's preparing from the mess a miracle. Spit, dust, and Jesus. Spit, dust, and Jesus. What a lethal combination. Where there is a mess, there can be a miracle. 
but I'm still like Jesus, but why spit? I mean, did he really need to spit? Is it the spit that healed the man? No. Was it the dust? No. Could Jesus have brought healing to this man without doing that? The answer should be yes. Okay. But why? I believe that if Jesus used anything else, we would have made it about the thing and not about him. Why? Because we love making our lives, our faith, discipleship about a thing and not about him. Charles Spurgeon, he's a famous preacher of quite a while back, and he said the following. He said, if Jesus had pulled out a vial of some liquid, you know, maybe anointing oil or something like that, and he had anointed the man's eyes with oil, everybody would have said, give me the anointing oil. The oil would have been the miraculous thing, but the way Jesus did it, the only person who could receive glory from it was Jesus himself. Some of you are entering into a varsity career for the first time. You're in res or you're not in res, and you're kind of learning the lay of the land. Do you know how quickly and how easily you, the trap of making your varsity life about certain things? I must do this. I must be this in my res. I must have this image. I must. It's about things in our lives. Even Christianity, it's about, you know, I've got my church, and I've got my, uh, my connect groups, and, and that's almost, that's my thing, you know. Christianity must just not happen anywhere else. We like making it about the, the tools or the methods or our experiences or our comfortability in how we've been gifted or however we're going to put it, but we can so quickly make our faith light about the things and not about Him. I believe that Jesus did this because He wants to remind you that healing is not about things. I remember I was a 20-year-old. I was in Kenya, and we were praying for a blind man in rural Kenya, somewhere uh, close to Lake Victoria, and man, we prayed, and we brought faith to that moment that this man didn't want to see. So we turned to things, and we didn't spit. We quickly fetched water, and we picked up dust, and we said, just like in the Bible, I'm going to do this, and we made, and this poor man <laughs> exfoliated. But it then all of a sudden moved from trusting Jesus for healing to try and generate something from myself and myself effort so that something can happen. Do you see that? Does this make sense? Does spit and dust make sense? No, it doesn't. But I think that's the point. You see, Jesus refuses to bow into our logic and into our reason so that we can understand him. And the problem is we don't necessarily like a Jesus that we can't explain. Right? We want Jesus to, to just lean into our, like, does this make sense? No, it doesn't. But I think that's the point. Because if everything is about logic and about sense, do you know what we do? We make up rules and now we live by these rules instead of in relationship with the King of the Most High. Instead of pursuing Jesus, it's about Him, not about just following rules. Now, I'm not against rules. I love structures. And sometimes it's difficult to preach on these things because I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I believe in structure. I believe in patterns and principles and, and to a certain extent, rules. But, friends, that is not the source that Jesus has called us to. He says it's about me. If you trust Him for something, you don't have, it's not about the things. It doesn't mean you have to go fast for 24 days. You have to pray. You have to... No, it's about me. Do you trust in me or in the things you can do for me? 
Maybe I'm talking to someone who's been a Christian for 10 years and longer. See, the trap of religion says you can make it on your own by following a bunch of rules and kind of excluding the splendor and wonder and majesty of Jesus. Everything that doesn't make sense is either wrong, unbiblical, bad theology, or weird. No. Who would like to be the fortunate volunteer to receive some? Anyone? It's biblical, right? You see what I mean? We don't worry. I'm not, this was a one-time thing. Jesus demonstrated. It's not the pattern we should follow. See, but we can quickly make following Jesus this controlled, calculated, low-risk lifestyle where Jesus is almost just like the sprinkle on top of my life instead of the essence of my life. As long as I can explain what Jesus wants from me, as long as I can fully understand it, as long as it makes sense to me, then that's the real Jesus. Friends, then you aren't reading your Bible because a lot of things Jesus did didn't make sense to the religious people of the day. Why did Jesus heal on the Sabbath? Because he says, I do not submit to your system. You submit to mine because it's not about a day. It's about me. I am your rest. Jesus refuses to submit to the systems of religion in the world. He says, no, that's not me. See, some of us tonight... We need God to come in and break the mold of our understanding of what it is to have a relationship with Jesus. Some of us tonight, you actually do need spit and dust in your face so that you can wake up and find the real Jesus. And that's uncomfortable. I don't think it was the most comfortable stroll for this blind man with mud on his face to find this pool that he's supposed to go to. And it's almost like, it seems like Jesus doesn't really care about his comfort. He didn't care, oh, what will the other people think of him? You know, maybe let's give him a hoodie. We can just cover his face, you know, because we don't want him to feel embarrassed. It's like, Jesus, I don't care about that. I don't care about your reputation. I don't care about that. It seems like it. He says, you Go. See, Jesus can do more with dust and spit than what you and I can do with all these things that we proclaim are supposed to keep us sane or save us. Jesus can do more with dust and spit than money, titles, a person, a relationship, a holiday, a job that you and I sometimes so desperately crave for and are willing to abandon everything we are so that we can achieve it. And then I was faced with this personal question is, would I have let Jesus mess up my face? And I think, if I have to be honest, I probably would say, no, that's weird. Why would I let someone put mud on my face? And right there it hits me, Lord, where have we drifted to? If Jesus wants to put mud on your face, friends, and he's Lord, then I guess he can do what he wants, right? So that's where my question comes from. What may Jesus still do in your life? Can he still enter into your life and say, go left when you want to go right? Can he still enter in your life and say, stop when you want to run? Can he still come into your life and say, confess that sin because it's killing you up? Can he still come into your life and say, forgive that person even if they never ask for it? 
Can he still enter into you and my life and say, I'm going to redirect you 180 degrees? No, I don't want a Jesus like that. Because that doesn't, that doesn't sound like him. See, maybe you're so comfortable in your Christianity because Jesus is somewhere else doing ridiculous things, painting people's faces with mud, and, you've, and you were left behind way long ago. C.S. Lewis has a famous quote where he says, If you're looking for a comfortable religion, I want to implore you to not choose Christianity. Sometimes Christianity is labeled by skeptics as, No, it's just a place of belonging and comfort. I say, No, you haven't read the Bible. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to give up your life. <laughs> Yet we don't necessarily see those quotes on Instagram, right? We don't see celebrity Christians tweeting these kind of things. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to give up your life. See, Jesus is the God of comfort, but also he brings moments of discomfort into our lives to re- almost like show what idols are there in our lives. Who are you really living for? Him or yourself? I don't know if you've been following the news, um, what's happening currently in one of the university campuses in America. It's called Asbury Seminary. It's a theological campus. So they're currently on day 11 of, if you want to call it a revival, you want to call it an awakening. But for 11 straight days... There have been venues on the campus that have been filled 24-7 with people praying, people praising, people sharing testimonies, healings taking place, and confession happening. Unplanned, unstructured. It came from a group of students who attended a normal weekly chapel moment on campus, and God started to do something. I want to read you now. If you, I want to ask you to go and read up about this. Because, friends, sometimes in moments like this, when, when there's a stirring in the spirit, it's very quickly we can be like the disciples and become overly critical. Or we can say, Lord, I believe this because I don't know what's happening. But it's moved from eight students to an auditorium, to an extra auditorium, to an extra auditorium, to an extra auditorium. And I'm going to read you some quotes about this awakening that's happening there. People that are attending it. Listen to this. Sub-par sound system. Who's even got frustrated at our church's sound? By the way, you guys are doing a great job. Let's give our sound team a round of applause. <laughs> Sub-par sound system. Century-old lighting. Uncomfortable wooden chairs with no legroom. No compelling videos. No screens to show the words to the songs. How would we sing, right? That's a joke. But anyway, same songs over and over and over and over again. No fog machines, no lasers, no celebrity speakers, no well-known anyone for that matter. My favorite one, super ugly carpet. (laughs) Apparent lack of programming and planning. Thousands of people traveling from all over the world, driving through the night on a worm, desperate and thirsty to drink from the well of authenticity, unconditional love, forgiveness, healing, and truth. Has your Christianity become so calculated that if it doesn't serve you, it's not Christian? That if it doesn't fill your bubble of what I like, then I'm going. 
We live in a culture where even churches have become like this now. Who that preacher and that worship guy and who that team, they all wear the same skinny jeans and um, the coffee at this church, that's great. And this has become almost our connection points to what God has called us to do. It's all about preference. Does Jesus still have the right to come into your life and say, I want you to do 100% something that you don't want to do? No, where's Jesus only does things, will ask me to do things that, that I like. Really? <laughs> Pete Gregg is an author. He writes incredible books on prayer. He was there and he wrote the following. He said, beyond human programs, products and personalities, we need God's power, presence, and perspective. Just authentic and real. Or have we become so calculated how Jesus must fit into our worlds that when he wants to put spit and dust on your face, you'll reject him? Friends, if you and I do not serve a Jesus that can walk into our lives and change everything, if he doesn't have that right to do that, then you are God and not him. And I believe, unfortunately, we see that in the world. We have people claiming to be Christians, but Jesus isn't Lord over their lives. And therefore, we find hypocrites. And that does damage the kingdom of God like nothing else. Can Jesus still disrupt your schedule? Can he still do things 100% oppositely than how you like them? Or has... Your Jesus becomes so small that he fits into the confinements of your comfort and your schedule. Now, is I want to worship Jesus. Okay, great. There's a mission coming up in April to Mozambique, man. Ooh, where's it? It's over the long weekend. You know, leave, where's. So, and where's, I mean, I'll come to church on Easter. Wing, I've got my spiritual check. Now, where's, I was in church. But even that, it's like, no, I'm going to live for Jesus as long as it kind of just suits my calendar planning. When we start to dictate what he may and may not do, we're in trouble. Because then we have reversed the roles. We have become the creator and he is the created. Jesus will, and maybe it's good that you know this, any students, friends, and can I just say, 11 days of a revival breaking out on campus. Let's never underestimate what God wants to do with you while you're a student. That's why we believe in campus ministry. Because somewhere else in the middle of Pretoria on a Sunday evening, I'm talking about what students are doing on campus, pursuing Jesus. The world is rumbling. People are asking, is this the new wave of God? Is this the awakening that we've been praying and desperately wanting to see? Do you know where it starts? With students in campus ministry. If you're a student in this church, I want to encourage you and charge you. We are trusting for moments like this at the University of Pretoria that will flow into OP, that will flow into Princeton, that will flow into TUT, that will take over Gauteng, and then we say, Lord, give us South Africa, because Africa needs it. And while I got hyped up about this, I was kind of like stopped in my tracks because it was like if there was a 10-day revival that broke out in Pretoria right now, would I be too busy for it? And that hit me. Because the one thing that I'm desiring, friends, it's not about a church program. It's not about things. It's about real authentic, authentic movements of God. 
would I have been too busy for it? What may Jesus still do in your life? What is available to him? What have you said, Jesus, here is it, everything? Or is it only this part, this aspect? What may he still do in your life? Last question. Who will Jesus be to you? So it's fascinating, as this blind man, as we follow his journey in John 9, his confession about Jesus changes. I want to show you this. Verse 11, his neighbors are kind of like asking, what happened, who did it? He says, verse 11 says, He answered him, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So do you see, he says, the man called? The man called? Okay. Verse 17, the Pharisees asked him, who did it, what happened? So he said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. Everyone say prophet. Verse 35. Jesus heard that he had been cast out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe you. And he worshipped. Friends, it's so important that our perspective of Jesus needs to keep growing as we follow him. And from the man, then he was a prophet, and then he was Lord. Our view on Jesus, our view on who Jesus is should always keep growing. Our reverence for Jesus should always keep growing. The importance of who he is should always keep growing. Our revelation of Jesus should always be growing. Friend, you cannot have a greater awe for Jesus the day you get saved than what you have 10 years of following him. Because in some way you've missed him. Maybe you've been saved for a long time and you almost like long for the days where you just got saved and you were like, Jesus, send me to Kolkata and I'll go tomorrow. When I read this, our revelation continues to grow. Knowing Jesus grows, friend. It doesn't do this, it does this. Some of us sitting in this room, your relationship has gone like this, down. It was never meant to do that. Because Jesus calls you into friendship. And as long as we get to know him, the better we know who he is, right? What I love about this, this man, is that as his viewpoint on Jesus is increasing, it's getting more difficult to believe it. Why? Because his family rejects him. His parents have nothing to do with him. He gets kicked out of church. Imagine that. <laughs> Even in the midst of adversity, his viewpoint on Jesus grows. See, tough times don't make his Jesus smaller. Tough times make his Jesus bigger. What do tough times do for you? See, when Jesus is in our lives, friends, I really believe you won't get kicked out of this church, I promise you. Okay. But I can't promise you that there will be some family members that want anything to do with you. There are some friendship circles that will say, sorry, champ, no Christians allowed. See, following Jesus will cost you something. And I'd rather tell you that today so before you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, know that your life will probably change. You might miss out on a promotion. Your reputation could get ruined. Your friendship circles could change. Following Jesus comes with a cost, but it comes with such a blessing.
as well. Iloni, will you join me on stage? Three questions. What do you see around you today? When you're looking at your life, what do you see? Number one. Number two, what may Jesus still do in your life? And number three, who will Jesus be to you? Who is Jesus to you now? Is Jesus just the genie that bails you out when you're in trouble? Is Jesus just that, that, that place where I go to when I need a pick-me-up? Who is he? Is he the man, the prophet, or the Messiah? Is he the man, the prophet, or the son of God? reveal things that need to be revealed in this moment. I believe that some people sitting here, there was a moment in your life where you made Jesus Lord, but you've almost let Lordship slip. Somewhere you've put yourself back there. Holy Spirit, will you just minister, minister to us right now? I want you to imagine this, this blind man with mud on his face is sent out to go and wash himself in this pool. And I can just believe that on his way to this pool, he's asking himself, will this work this time? Is this going to work? Can I trust Jesus? I believe a lot of you in this room are in the same place. You're actually asking, will this Jesus thing work? Can I really trust him? question that you will probably ask in business is, will this work to continue the be faithful to God? To be obedient, will this work? If I continue to be obedient, will I get where I'm supposed to get? The blind man arrives at his destination and a miracle happens. Some of you are asking, will this really work? So you just close your eyes. I want to pray for a first group of people. You may be sitting here and you maybe realize that you've started to dictate what Jesus may and may not do in your life. You've actually become the one that plans puts everything out in your life and Jesus must just find a hole to appear. Tonight's a moment where you actually say sorry. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. If you want to put mud on my face, you can do that. And what I love about the Asbury Revival, what I've heard, it sounds like how it started was students coming to repentance and confessing out sins out loud. Prayer, repentance, and praise. And they started just repenting and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry that I'm carrying this. So 
Tonight, it's just a moment where we can say, Jesus, I'm sorry that my Christianity has become so calculated. It, it fits so perfectly into the system. And it's always been about you, Jesus, and not about the things and the systems around you. If it's you tonight, I want to pray with you. So I want to ask you to raise your hand. Awesome. Just keep it up a bit longer. You can see I'm praying for. There's no shame in this. It'd be a greater shame to walk out and not admit it. Awesome. That's great, guys. Just keep up your hand. If you're raising your hand out of sincere, just out of a sincere place, I want you just to pray with me while you're sitting down. You can just say, Jesus, I'm sorry that my life has been dictated by things and not by you. Tonight I choose to trust you with everything. I surrender everything. Forgive me. Forgive me, Jesus. Thank you that your plans are greater than my plans. Thank you that you're the one that's worthy to be trusted. Jesus, shake up my schedule. Shake up my calendar. Put mud on my face if you have to. You are Lord and not me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Maybe tonight you've never made Jesus Lord of your life. You've never actually decided that Jesus calls the shots and not me anymore. You've never really said, aha, that's what I want to do. If it's you, can I ask that you raise your hand as well? You want to settle this once and for all, that Jesus is Lord of my life and my life belongs to him. If it's you, please raise your hand. Awesome. That's great. Anyone else? Awesome. So this is the first time you, you actually saying, Jesus, my life belongs to you. So if you raise your hand, quickly look at me. This is great. So what Jesus does with this man, don't worry, everyone's I'm talking to you. Huh? So Jesus says to this man, okay, he has mud on your face, and he sends him publicly out to go to this water and to be washed, right? And I can just imagine the people around him must have been thinking, oh, what's going on? What's this guy doing? that doesn't matter because sometimes when we feel embarrassed Jesus says I'm so proud of you so what I'm going to do now is not to embarrass this is not an embarrassing moment this is a moment where you stand up so I'm going to go and get washed so I can also just come standing in front maybe if the people around you are sitting next to you then you can just join them so if you raise your hand for the first time tonight just come to the front I wanted to do a short prayer with you come on let's give them a round of applause guys Awesome. Can I ask some of the guys, Nettie, Jason, Martin, stand around them? Awesome. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? Guys, this is an incredible moment. It really is. Scriptures say that heaven rejoices when one person comes to repentance. So we know there's a big celebration tonight in heaven. This is one of the greatest decisions you'll ever make in your life. By surrendering and saying, Jesus, I trust you with everything. My life is about you and nothing else. So you can just pray with me. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you 
died for my sins, that you defeated death, you rose again to prove that you are the Messiah. I choose to believe that tonight. Forgive me of my sins and receive me, Jesus. I make you Lord over my life. I put my trust in everything I am in you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Can I ask that if you're standing around them, just grab their numbers, make sure that we can connect them somewhere. We don't want people to figure this out by themselves. So if you're just standing around them, uh, you guys can just exchange numbers. We'd like to walk with you and figure this out with you. Okay. Well done, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Alpha.